Hello and welcome to the Virtual Clinical Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Sunderland. This is a spot where nurses share their stories and their experiences to provide mentorship as well as help nurses and soon-to-be nurses just like yourself along the way. I hope you enjoy these episodes. Well, welcome to episode three of the Virtual Clinical Podcast. Today, I am joined with Daniela Acosta. I'm hoping I'm saying your last name correctly. Yeah. She is a nurse that has her bachelor's, and her bachelor's is actually from Canada. This is my first Canadian guest, y'all. And I'm very excited for this because I feel like we've just approached the international uh, respective nurses, which is great. She is also the CEO of Vibrant Nurse, which I'm really excited to talk to her about and help support that business of hers. She is a nursing practice leader in long-term care at one of the largest and most innovative long-term care facilities in the province of Ontario, Canada. Since graduating with Dean's Honors, congratulations, from the University of Toronto in 2012, she has dedicated her entire career to seniors care, which I think is super important as we move into a geriatric friendly environment here in the United States as well as quality improvement and best practice implementation. Daniela is an advocate for highlighting the importance of registered nursing roles in long-term care and the importance of embracing leadership skills in nursing. This passion has since inspired her to create Vibrant Nurse, a social media community and online business in the beginning stages that supports general nursing leadership and raises awareness of nursing opportunities in long-term care. Daniela, welcome. Thank you, I'm so excited to be here. How, so what prompted you to begin your career in nursing? Oh, that's an interesting question. So I actually started um, my university career in sciences, in biopharmaceutical sciences, which was very organic chemistry. Perhaps I was following the path of my dad in like chemistry and science. Um, And then when I graduated, I was like, oh no, I don't want to work in a lab for the rest of my life. Same, I would think the same thing. Yeah. Um, so then I was like, oh no, what do I do? What do I do? And um, I started in, like I was working part-time in a clinic and I really loved that patient interaction, um, kind of like helping people figure out, you know, their day. Like I wasn't a professional, but I was helping with patients and I really loved that. Uh, so I started looking into the healthcare field. And um, one thing that really stuck out to me was nursing. And um, there was a program at the University of Toronto at the, well, it's still there, um, that is a second entry program. So I only would have to do two years instead of four because I already had a degree. They kind of like squish all the nursing stuff together. Um, And so I thought that was a really neat opportunity. And University of Toronto was well known um, in Ontario anyway, that they had a really great program. They were the first bachelor's program for nursing that ever existed in Canada. So, um, so I applied to it and I got in. So that sort of started my journey. I like to think of nursing for me as something I fell in love with. Uh, over time. Like, I didn't know what I was getting into really. (laughs) Um, But but, um, once you know, you you dive in and you see the impact that you're making little bit by little bit by little bit. And, and then you also see like what you can do with nursing, which I think your podcast highlights beautifully, like the different aspects that you can take in nursing. Um, And so it's just such a great career choice. And I just sort of ended up falling in love with it. And now I can't imagine that I would have done anything else. You've, you've just described, I think, nursing to me as well so perfectly 
because I have explained to my students that, so we, we often hear nursing is the art and the science. And when you describe nursing to, for you, that is exactly what nursing is, an art and a science. And if you don't appreciate the artistic ability of yourself to fall in love with things over and over and over again, processes to, to improve, things like that, then you're gonna miss what nursing truly is. I think it moves people in certain ways, right? We have books about nursing. We have paintings about nursing. There's lots of memes that crack me up on the daily <laughs> about nursing, you know, no matter how um, crazy they are. But I, but I too just really appreciate that nursing is a really creative way of expressing one's love to each other. And I think that that really highlights what, what you just said so, so perfectly. I love Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I just gonna say, I love that you put that in the form of art and a science and um, that that's absolutely it. And that's the most successful nurses that I know, like the, my mentors that I look up to, they have just crafted the, the clinical side and then the leadership and, and connectives, like the relationship side of it and put it together. And you're just like, oh, I love these people because they, yes. they really mastered that. And when it, when it clicks, so I, I work in intensive care okay. and when things click, it's like a ballet or like an orchestra that has put together this movement of, of music, this body of music that everything works together harmoniously and it just, and it just creates this, this 12 hour day. And I think that that's, that's what nursing is in the most poetic of ways. I think that, you know, that's, that, that's why we're here is, is to create this like really amazing feeling for others and ourselves at the end of the day. So then you kind of moved into long-term care since then, since graduating right away. Yeah, actually, it was my first job out of school. So wow. I, re I really liked my geriatric placement um, in school, but I had like other, you know, ideas of where I thought I would end up. Um, but due to um, just some personal things in my life, I had to move back from Toronto. I had to move back to my hometown of Ottawa. And um, in Ottawa, there was a little bit um, difficulty getting into the hospitals here if you weren't from a school that was around here. I don't know why, but there was just yeah. sort of thing. Uh, so you kind of had to work your way in. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just apply to anything right now so I can get a job. And um, the first thing that came up with this long-term care home, and it was a special program because the government at the time was promoting um, getting nurses into long uh, full-time positions. So they were paying um, facilities to hire new grads train them for like an extended orientation and then get them a full-time job. So I was very lucky to get that position. Um, and then that was my entry into long-term care. And what was really neat was that I actually applied to this not knowing what a registered nurse does in long-term care um, because I don't know if school is the same. I probably the same in the States as here, but the long-term care placement in nursing school here is your very first placement in nursing. So you're learning bed baths, you're learning ADLs, you're learning sort of like the direct care stuff. And it's really important. And you work with um, professional uh, personal support workers or perhaps CNAs in the States mm -hmm. um, directly. That's their expertise. They teach you that. But you don't get to see what the RN is doing in long-term right. care because she's right. not they're not doing that particularly. They're helping, but they're not that's not their main role. Um, so I went into this job not having a clue what I was getting into, <laughs> um, but I got the job. And um, and when I started, it was I was so lucky to have this uh, 
like they call it the new grad initiative. I was lucky to have that because it was an extended orientation to really get me into that role because what's very unique about the RN role in long-term care is that you are doing clinical things for sure. Absolutely, that's a big part of the role, but you are also like a team leader. So you're leading care for 40, 80, 160 people. Wow. And so there's like a supervisory role in that. So right out of school, I was in a supervisory role, which was really interesting. Yeah. Um, and it ended up matching with my personality really well. So I fell in love with it. Yeah. Um, but, um, but there's so many uh, unique aspects to, to this role um, as well, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that, that's usually what we see here as well in the United States, that within training programs for your bachelor's, we also have associate's degrees and diploma degrees here as well. Um, so I can't really just like talk about what associates programs or the diploma programs go through. I went through a baccalaureate degree and I teach the baccalaureate students as well. But you're right in that when you hit your long-term care experiences and placements, you're not learning about the leadership values of what that takes. You're learning about the basics. You're learning about it, so I, I, I've recorded a podcast that hasn't come out yet, but we discussed hospital corners. I'm not sure if, if you have ever heard of those, but essentially when you make a bed, and this is a very old school way of doing it back like 10 years ago, but you would have to fold your sheets at the end of the bed a specific way so that they wouldn't come apart. And so we joke about hospital corners because now we have like fitted sheets and we have sheets that have like rings and you attach the sheet to it at the end of the bed. But those basic principles are still very important. And it it's crazy to think that you learn that from a certified nursing assistant, which they are experts at in, in doing that mm -hmm. and bathing a patient and things like that. Whereas nursing and long-term care is, at least in the United States, is both leadership and also you do medication delivery as well. So you kind of do both, but they don't teach you about the skills of how to be a leader. Mm -hmm. Um, we, we tend to miss that. So what was your first role then like as this, this new leader of a nurse? So what were some of your best things that have happened and what were some challenges that you experienced as well? So especially coming in as a new graduate into that role, it was the, the main challenge is um, trying to sol like solidify more of your your, you know how your first year of nursing is about trying to like get your clinical skills like ingrained. So you're yes. really trying to focus on, okay, so your, your, your focus is I need to see as many patients, I need to do all these assessments and get feel comfortable doing that on my own. Um, but then what, what's interesting is that your role in long-term care is that, but then you have to throw in this part where you have six people, like maybe five uh, uh, certified nursing assistants. And then we also work in long-term care with um, registered practical nurses or licensed practical nurses as well. Yes. Like okay. The call, like the, the uh, what do you call it? Diploma level, yeah, the diploma level one. Um, so uh, we work with those on our team as well. So as a registered nurse, I had six people coming to me as the new grad asking for direction on care for for all these residents and patients, and um, and so that's such an interesting perspective and a challenge when you're new because you already you almost you almost feel like I just want to. I need, I need to learn myself how to do all this, but now I'm also guiding six other people to lead care. And so that was a really tough learning curve. Mm -hmm. And I was blessed with the opportunity with that extended orientation, but some people come into this like 
they get their one week orientation and they're on their own. And um, I just find like that's amazing and what is a skill to have to build. Um, some of the, the greatest things that came out of that was that um, I learned how to talk to people and connect with people. Oh, you have so to important. build, yeah, and you have to build trust um, because as a new person coming in, even if you're just a new hire and you've already been a nurse for years, the moment you join a team, it's, it, it's, you can't just go in and say, hey, I'm here and I know how to do everything great and this is what we're going to do because people don't know you and they're going to kind of question that. Um, so you have to really start building trust. And I find the best way to do that is, you know, you stand back, learn from them, learn from the team, how they do their routine. What are they doing every day? Join in, help them, be at the bedside with them, um, doing, you know, um, ADL care uh, or helping to give meds. Um, and, uh, and then you can see the routine and see how things are going. And then when you find gaps that you feel are, oh my gosh, we need to do this more for a resident to really get their quality of life up. Now you've, you've already gained that trust with them and you can find ways to connect with them to say, hey, why don't we try guiding care this way? Or let's do this, let's try this idea because everything you've done is so great. Let's apply that to this section and kind of trying to get everyone on the same page. Yeah. Um, but as, yeah, but as a new graduate, that's really hard to do when you're trying to learn, solidify your, your clinical skills plus now your leadership skills. Um, but uh, you gain your confidence really fast, which is amazing. It's fine. I think, I think, I'm sorry, I'm just writing down these notes as we discuss this stuff, because in my, what I'm hearing is that long-term care is really a complex system of all of these people, all of these areas that you can't just go in and, and create large change right away. And I've said this to people before, and, you know, because right now we are obviously in a pandemic and people want to know why we just can't implement things that Switzerland's doing because it's working as an example. I don't even know if Switzerland's doing, you know, good things. They probably are. But the point I'm, I'm making is that people assume that because it's working over here really good must mean that it's going to work very well over here. And what an important skill that you've just brought up in terms of walking into a new area or system is that if you try to be the wrecking ball, it's just, it's, you're going to hit resistance right away. And talking to people is so important when you first meet anybody, right? No matter where you're working in long-term care or in a critical care environment, talking to people and getting to know the basics of meeting people where they deserve their care is such an important attribute of a new nurse to get to learn. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that, um, so, so this semester, some of the students had a choice of either going home for their clinicals and doing it virtually. And then I had a certain select amount of students that stayed in my unit to do clinicals. And I thanked them for doing that because they had a choice. And I said, you know, you are here, you are experiencing things much more than clinical applications of putting in a IV or putting in a Foley or emptying out something or simply just taking a tray away. You're learning how people talk to each other. And also how people build trust with each other because you've got to tell the patient that they've got to go for this test or that they've got to go for X, Y, and Z, or we have to do this procedure because, you know, this is what we need and they might not like it. And so those two attributes that you just brought up really hit home for me because that's exactly what nursing is. 
so then some of the some of the issues or i'm sorry not, not some of the issues well we, we can get we can get into, into issues later um but what were some of the struggling points of long-term care walking in um like as like from a patient point of view yes yeah oh, okay um yeah so i mean ontario um i know that uh we're going to probably talk about this later but Canada is a publicly funded healthcare system. Um, and so a lot of our money comes um, from the government and healthcare is accessible to all. And so long-term care is included in that. Uh, and there is an amount of money that is allocated to long-term care in Ontario. Some of the challenges that we're facing in Ontario coming in as um, is just um, probably an issue everywhere is staffing issues and, and amounts of that. So Basically, long-term care in Ontario is set up as a, a it's called a team nursing model of care. So we would have a group of residents and we have, we have um, a smaller amount of staff that need to address these residents. So we divide the tasks. So for example, on a unit that would have maybe 40 residents or patients, you would have five, four, well, four or five CNAs. You would have two, one or two, um, licensed practical nurses, and then you would have half of an RN because the RN would actually cover 80 people. Um, and yeah, and, and if, if, if your RN colleague down the, down the hall is sick today and they don't have anyone to replace them, then you have four units. So that's 160 people. Wow. So the, the role of the RN is ultimately to oversee care in the sense that we, we review care plans. We make sure that care is going in the right way, but we also go see people because um, if there's an emergency, if someone is having you know, a heart attack or someone is going having a stroke or having respiratory problems, it's the RN would, would identify that as a high risk situation and then would go and consider, see that role. So one of the challenges of course is staffing because when you have situations where there's less and less, um, more and more days of short staff. So more and more days that I'm covering 160 people and not 40 or 80. Um, the problem is, is that I can't, get to know the residents as well as I would if it was a smaller group. So now I'm more putting out fires. I'm getting called to yes. this emergency and this emergency and this emergency. And that's fine for that emergency, except that for quality of care for people who live, residents live in this, in this place, this is their home. So if I'm in their home, um, guiding their care, I need to know like what the ins and outs of their care are to, to guide the ship in the right direction. And, um, and that's really difficult when staffing is being cut and cut and cut. And mm -hmm. team nursing, I feel team nursing is, is quite vulnerable to cuts because working as a team, um, you will be able to mask the effects of short staff in the short term. Um, and so, you know, I think, you know, government, well, in our case, governments use that to, you know, they cut here and then mm -hmm. now the, the team sort of masks that until you realize over a period of time, all your nurses are getting burnt out because they're running to all these fires and then you'll see that, that impact. Um, so that's one of the challenges. Another interesting aspect that could be a challenge for nursing, but it's also one of the reasons why I love nursing and long-term care is that your role as an RN in long-term care is many hats. I, I call it as like you're putting on lots of different hats. So okay. we, um, we have people who live here. So we, we are chronic care management nurses we're we're looking at a resident and we're saying okay this is your disease process and we're managing it before an exacerbation happens and when an exacerbation happens which is cool because you get to see like it all yeah um 
but we're also mental health dementia nurses. So then you take off that hat and you put on another hat and you're like, oh, I actually need to help residents um, have a good day because with dementia, you can go into a delirium um, or you know, their behaviors need to be managed. Like what are their unmet need? Um, what's happening that I can, what can I do for them to meet their needs so that they have the best day possible? So that's dementia. And then also, you know, you see depression in elderly as well. So there's a lot of mental health there. And then another interesting thing is that all of our patients come to our facility to live the rest of their life. So that also means that we also are end of life palliative care nurses as well. And a lot of people don't think about that in long-term care, but like we don't send our residents to hospice at the end of their life. We do end of life care there in their house, oh. in their room. Um, so then we're also palliative care nurses as well. And the list goes on like infection control and things like that. Yeah. But, um, but, uh, but so, so that can be challenging as a new grad going into long-term care because um, you're, tr you're, you're kind of getting pulled in all these different like specialty areas all at once. <laughs> um, but it, once you learn it though, and gain the confidence in it, it's really quite fun because every day is really, really different. Yeah, it sounds like it. So do you, so for long-term care facilities, do you have educational programming that helps you learn about palliative care services and how to best do that mental health services and things like that? Do you guys do continuing education on those um, topics? Yes, yes, definitely. Like that's one of the main areas. There's always educations on dementia care, delirium, which is a really big one because I'm sure you've heard like whenever a, an elderly person goes into delirium, hmm. oh, UTI. The reason yeah. is because of a UTI. I mean, it could be. <laughs> it could be. It absolutely could be. And you definitely have to rule it out for sure. <laughs> but I've seen so many deliriums that are not because of a UTI. Yes. They're because of yeah totally completely other different things and so um so we learn we learn a lot of courses on how do you investigate that and what's the systematic way of investigating that um we do education on of course um gentle persuasion approaches so Ooh. how do you like i i never led that one but i've been to it and it's really yeah. cool because you learn how to de-escalate a person when their behaviors um are are escalating their responsive behaviors and yeah. how to do approaches such as stop and go so you try something if the person's resisting you stop you go away for a few minutes and you come back or you try a different provider um some kind of something like that um and then lots of education around um clinical skills as well um another challenge in long-term care and it kind of aligns a bit with the myths that go around about long-term care, but um, but one of the challenges is that some of the clinical skills that you 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 know and you see they come in like they come in sporadically. Like not all my residents are going to have a pick line, but right. at least three times a year I'm going to have a pick line. So I need to know pick lines, yeah. but I don't do it every day, so I'm not like super comfortable with it until I've done like, you know, maybe been there like five years and I've done so many. Um, so it's really important that um, you have the basic skill set. And then when someone comes in, you're able to, you know, research what you don't know and apply it to the situation and then, and then have the resources to learn. So we do a lot of like, so I'm currently in a practice leader role. So mm -hmm. I, um, I am the one who does the just in time training for these situations. Oh, that's really um, nice. Yeah. I was wondering but, if, if like we had some similarities of training in terms of just in time as an example, yeah. which is cool. Yeah. For the for that gentle response, right? That I think that's yeah, what gentle you call persuasive it. approach. Gentle yeah. persuasive approach. Yeah. That's such a nice thing. Um, does that include reaction, like your own reaction to people? 
So when you are training for patients that may have dementia or behavioral issues or out, outbursts and things like that, is there methods that you guys do to work on the, like your own personal response to things? So I could think of, a, you know, several of my colleagues I've met throughout my career that, and myself included, that have become, you know, you can have a frustrating day. And if a patient is, has, you know, something wrong with them, some, sometimes stress can get the best of you and your reaction to the approach is not the best. So do you guys do like any kind of de-escalation training for yourselves or like a, like wellness training for yourselves to reduce some of those stressors and burnout? Yeah. So I have, um, so I, so I'll just preface to say that I work in a really big facility. That's not the typical long-term care. So we have a lot of resources, but we had some really amazing training with our spiritual health provider and our psychogeriatric nurse who leads the GPA. Um, they did some, we did, and then I was included a bit, but we did some resiliency training. So basically when COVID started, we went around the entire facility and trained people about the idea of what we're all going through in the whole world is grief. We're all grieving the loss of being able to go out and go with friends and, and things like that. But then we're also seeing that in our residents who now have to stay in their rooms and then decompensating. And so we, um, we did do a training with about 250 staff just talking about your own emotions and how you can understand yourself and to focus on what you can control because yes. some things, um, some things we cannot control and that's just the reality, but there's always something in the spectrum that we can control. Um, and that was more COVID related, but it was, it had some really good, um, like, uh, people really gave good feedback on that. Yeah. Um, but, but some of the things that we also do in general is we do try and do a lot of education, um, around when you're caring for people with dementia, a lot of education around the idea that dementia is a disease. Mm -hmm. And the, the behaviors that we see from people is an outcome of their brain breaking down, just like if someone had cancer and that's affecting some part of their body. Mm -hmm. And, and that helps to remind people, I think, not to take things so personally. And I remember my lessons in that when I was new, because when I, when I remember one of my placements in a med surge unit, when I was in school, I was assigned a resident or a patient who had dementia and she just didn't like the look of me like the moment I walked in she didn't like me and I don't know if I looked like someone from her past I don't know but I went in all cheery and smiley and happy and just shut down and totally like her behaviors escalated from everything every way that I responded to her because I was taking it personally, ended up escalating her, and then she would have a bad day, and I would have a bad day, and my preceptor was like, oh my god, and so it was just like a big twirl of a thing, and thinking back eight years later now that I have all this experience in dementia care, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I just was missing all the tools, and, um, and so what we're trying to teach people and where we work is this is a disease. Everything they say is not personal to you. Mm -hmm. um, it's an unmet need that we're not meeting somehow. And we have to, and then we also go over like the eight A's of dementia, kind of along the lines of, you know, anastignosia is a term that means that people don't know what they don't know. So sometimes you'll have someone with dementia who they have no insight at all that they need any help at all. They don't, they don't, perceive the fact that they have a disease and they need support versus like if you broke your leg you would know that okay I can't run right now but people with dementia don't have that sort of insight and that is a is it that is something that causes a lot of 
um, escalation when people don't understand that because sometimes, you know, staff will say, well, he understands what I'm saying and I'm trying to tell him to do this and he's not doing what I'm asking him to do and he's just getting mad. Um, but it's about trying to train your mind to recognize these as symptoms and not as personal attacks on you. Um, and I think that that has learning that early was one of the things that really, really helped me. Um, and then trying to figure out what person's needs are as well. That's really cool. I think you just taught me more about, more about dementia than I've ever known about dementia. <laughs> and I work in a neuroscience unit. I've done 16 years of neuroscience, but have never once heard of the eight A's of dementia. So I'm going to look this up. Oh yeah. It's really um, cool. Once, once we're done, because I feel like it, it would help, you know, we, we don't see a lot of dementia on, on my particular unit where I work, but we do see cognitive issues. And certainly we see a lot of delirium as well. And I think, you know, some of the things that you've brought up in that we can only control what we can control and we have to really let go of what we can't control are, it's, it's such a big lesson for students listening that, you know, you're going to walk into these situations that you have no control over and you're going to have feelings towards these, these areas where you feel like you have no control over. And the best thing is to realize that you can only control so much. You only have 12 hours to do so much. So don't beat yourself up for not getting the work done in, in your shift period. At least in my world, I teach that. I think it's probably perhaps different in long-term care. I'm sure that the hours, are, are the hours still like 12 hours or are they eight hours? Are they different? They vary. They're eight hours. So we do three shifts um, for days, evenings, and nights. Okay. And yeah, and it's exactly that. You try and get what you can do in the eight hours. And then there's a, like, it's 24 hour care. So mm -hmm. someone else can, you know, we work as a team. Someone else can, yes. can help and yes. follow up. And then you support the next shift when they can't get everything done on your shift. And you just try and do the best you can. Yeah. That's not, that's not, you, you, that sounds like, like so supportive. Like I remember when, when a lot of people didn't have that belief and we struggled a lot with, trying to finish up all of this charting and all of this care. And it's like, you don't have to do that because another person's coming on to relieve you to help get that done. And that, I think that took a lot of learning for certain people, but, but at the end of the day, it made it so much better of care for just everybody because the importance of getting out on time is really important. People don't think about that, but clocking out on time, being able to be home at a decent hour is so important for your mental health as a nurse, I think. So that was quite the lesson for us, but certainly moved in a, a good way. Yeah. So with quality care and quality indicators that you seem to be very passionate about, I, I mean, I just got that right away. <laughs> but, um, what, what are some of the things that you've been doing to help with quality of care for your patient population in a long-term care facility? Oh, I love that you asked me this question because <laughs> long-term care, that, okay, one of my colleagues at work came up with this sentence and I just love it. She said, long-term care is the best kept secret in like healthcare, okay? <laughs> because people don't realize that our job is, because we work with people who live in their home, our job is all about quality of life and bringing the quality of life to these people. And it's so awesome because you get to really explore that aspect of nursing that everyone loves about nursing. That's like what you love about nursing. How do you connect with people and get them what they need when they need it? And so I can care for someone in long-term care for a couple months because they pass away, or 
you can be with someone for years. So you can get really get to know somebody and, and provide care and quality of life is so important. And the yeah. biggest, the biggest aspect in long-term care for nursing is risk. Well, we're mit we're mitigating risk, but we're also balancing um, treatment versus like experience and quality of life. And that's what this balance is always about. So we are always having conversations in long-term care about the disease the person has, but where they stand in that, like the con, like what their life is like now in the context of this disease. And what is it exactly about, um, about them as a person that's important to them now yes. that we can then um, arrange all the care to match that. And, um, and I mean, I work in an org, I can't take like I work in an organization that has taken this to the next level and is doing what is unheard of in long-term care. And, um, and so what, what they've done is they've brought in the idea of frailty mm. and frailty is interesting because it's a newly it's well, it's a, it's a new trend in studies for geriatric care. Um, but basically it's, it's about understanding how vulnerable somebody is to a negative outcome from a stressor. And if you can understand that, then you can help people make better decisions about their life. That, and when we say better, we mean decisions that align with what they want and what they like yeah. so that we can give them the life that they can enjoy up until they reach end of life. And then their end of life matches what they want at end of life. Sorry. Does that, that make is, sense? Yes. That makes so much sense. Like <laughs> I, I know where you're coming from is from long-term care. I parallel this because I see a lot of patients that, who have devastating strokes in my unit. And no matter what, and I also see a lot of patients who come in with brain tumors, CNS lymphoma, um, neurogenic disorders, like the whole spectrum of neuroscience. And I always ask the person who is my patient, you know, what does their quality of life look like to them? And I don't need an answer for that, right? But I want them to, because oftentimes I'm not seeing the patient for three months, six months, couple years, like you are, mm -hmm. but I want them to begin thinking about that process because no matter the outcome of where this person's going to be at discharge, they need to think about what their quality of life is going to be, no matter what choices they make in life. And I think that that's so important for everybody, no matter what health level you are, is that you begin to think about, you know, what does quality of life mean to you? And what are the things that are important to you that as you receive care from others, we can help you achieve? And I really love that you mentioned the vulnerability of people and how that vulnerability really plays into how to take care of people. That's such a huge, huge theme. And I'm like, man, I'm writing down these notes. I'm like, how can I take this to my unit? Because this is what we need, you know, because I don't believe that we often discuss vulnerability as both a strength in our patients and our care, and also as something to improve so that we can look at the patient with that whole picture and offer them the best quality of life. And it seems like like that sentence that long-term care is the best kept secret, like I'm writing down all your secrets right now. <laughs> you know, because, go ahead, sorry. No, I just, I just love that you said that you asked that to your patients, even in the short term, because like in, in acute care settings, I feel like that is 
really critical because that's where they're making they're going to be making some very extreme yes. decisions and um the earlier we can talk about this the better and um i have an example like i had um a student with me in their consolidation one time and i was going around kind of seeing my patient my residents and we were doing rounds or whatever and I, I walked into the room of one resident and i hadn't noticed for the last two weeks that he, he had dementia and i had noticed that he had declined to like the next level of dementia and i can't really articulate it to you it was just i just there's that just, level there's stopped. that movement yep yeah and i was like i just i just feel it he's at this different level he's not going to go back and the next stage is going to be the beginning of the end like the next stage will be he will stop eating and um and then that will be the beginning of end of life and so i told the student oh I really need to call the family today for this resident just to talk about um, decline and end of life. Hmm. Now, from the student's perspective, who didn't know this resident, looked at the resident who was moving around in his wheelchair, talking to people, laughing. She looked at me and she was like, you're going to call the family to talk about end of life for this resident? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and they were like, she didn't understand like why I would do that. But the thing is, is that I wasn't calling the family to say, He's end of life, you need to come now, like this is the end of life. All I wanted to do was to call the family and say, and which I did, I just said, you know, I, I, I know your dad, I've been seeing him for so long. And I just noticed the last two to three weeks, there's been sort of like a decline in his abilities. And then yes. they were like, oh yes, I saw that too and blah, blah, blah. And then all I did was just explain what that meant in the yes. context of dementia. Yes. And that we're not approaching end of life yet. However, you know, this is generally the sign I see before we get to the last stages. Here's what to expect going forward. And it was kind of like not a happy conversation, but it wasn't an emergency. I wasn't telling right. anyone to come right. or call the families. But what was great about it was that my student, who still thought it was a little bit crazy, <laughs> at, <laughs> before the end of her placement, this resident declined, stopped eating and was end of life before she even left. And, wow. um, and so it was so interesting because the death of this resident was so much better than um, it, like it was better than it would have been if I hadn't talked to this family because they were now prepared. Yeah. And I compare this to my first experience um, alone when I was working alone, my first experience with death and dementia, when I had a resident who um, was end stage dementia, like I, I came onto the unit when this resident was barely eating, not talking, not able to express full care, total care. And this resident passed was like became end of life very quickly. And of course the whole team knew that and had been expecting this for a while. And I, my, my experience was that the family came in when he was end of life and were absolutely shocked that this person would be close to end of life. And that was such a huge lesson for me mm -hmm. because how could anyone be shocked that this person was end of life? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's like, I just, I blew me away. And it realized that as a team, we did not prepare this family. And, um, and that taught me moving forward. I mean, it took me a while to get where I was with that student, but over time I gained the skills to be able to recognize the decline and just call the family early and say what I'm seeing. And yeah. that made all the difference. Yeah, I, that's such a, I was about to ask you, how do you handle death so well? Because it seems like you do, but it comes down to the preparation of preparing yourself and knowing what those next steps are. And also being honest and open with the family about, 
this this particular person has developed the next stage in, in, in his progression of disease. And these are the things that we see in that progression of disease. This is what we want you to know. And what can we do to support support them um, in that next stage and moving forward? And, you know, we in long-term care, that seems like the best discussion to have. In a short-term care environment, such as a hospital, that can be a very difficult situation to discuss because people are coming in after such an acute event sometimes that all of a sudden it's like, how can this, how can this happen? You know, that, that's the general shock of, oh my goodness, this person was healthy a minute ago. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I do think that palliative services is such an important aspect of no matter where you care for a patient, that we tend to use our like palliative care services. So we have nurse practitioners, physicians, PAs, uh, which are physician assistants. I'm not sure if it's the same in Canada um, that help to have discussions with patients to help alleviate some of the symptoms that they might be experiencing, which I think palliative care should be utilized so much more in acute care um, because so many people come in distressed, asking questions, wondering why, and they don't come in with simple issues. They come in with, I've just lost my house, my mortgage is due, I have rent, I just lost my job, I have six kids that need all cost measures accounted for. Now you have the high stress of the pandemic, so perhaps these six kids are all in virtual learning. And so we, te- we tend to not think about those things as, as palliative care uh, important measures, which I think we should, because palliative care really a, a alleviates a lot of the distress levels that people have. And perhaps perhaps it might be easier to take the viewpoint from long-term care and the best kept secret that, you know, having these conversations early and honest and open is a really good idea. And perhaps it's, perhaps it might be easier in long-term care. I don't know. Um, that would be a unique study to take a look into or lit review to look into as well, because perhaps, perhaps y'all do it so much better in long-term care. I don't know. Yeah. I think, I think the setup, like it leans itself to it because people are coming here knowing that they're not going to go anywhere else. So it kind of lends itself to that conversation. Not that everyone's ready to talk about it, but it kind of lends itself to that. And I think um, that's, I guess, one of the strengths because of the setup of long-term care. Um, But definitely, I just would love to see like, if there was a somehow an integrated system in the future where like acute care and long-term care can work together Mm. to like, you know, bring your strengths of the clinical views and like really strong clinical knowledge and um, and acute knowledge to come together with um, with uh, what's the word um, long term care sort of like I guess approach to the quality part and and bring that together. I feel like that would be cool somehow. That would be that. great. That would be a, that would be such a, a huge bridge to 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 mend um, the gap on because. And, and this could open up a lot of discussion on insurance. So, because in the United States, we have uh, private insurance, we have our public insurance, and we have lots of different coverages, lots of different payment structures, lots of different really complex ways of looking at patient care, depending on what um, contract you signed with the insurance company that is providing your care. And so... When I, when I hear you say these things about bridging those two together, 
in the United States, at least we have, so if a patient comes in acutely and then needs longer term care, we have long-term care facilities. We have skilled nursing facilities or SNFs. We have rehabilitation hospitals. We have home health services. And so you'd have to really bridge something together with where the patient like could be next. Um, and I'm trying to think of what perhaps that might look like because oftentimes people don't see long-term care as a, as a viable next step. And then sometimes people, it's their only step. So that's a, that's a unique challenge as well that it, you know, for, for things to consider because of the way that people perhaps in Canada think of long-term care differently, it, you know, as opposed to here in the United States. Um, do people consider long-term care as a really, a really good thing? And I, I, I'm asking this, I don't know what people think of long-term care here in the United States because we are such a vast country with different states, obviously, that people think all, you know, different things. So, but in Canada, generally, you know, and maybe it's just your area that you can comment on, but what do people really think of long-term care? Yeah, so long-term care here, it, we still have those, like the problems you're mentioning, we still have. Someone's in a hospital and we have, they have to figure out, is it better for home care? Is it better, like what are the options? Yeah. And mm -hmm. to be honest, there's a big push here in Ontario. I can only speak to Ontario. There's a big, but I think it's, I, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if it's across Canada, but there's a big push for people to age at home. And yes. we are promoting that because it is cheaper on the healthcare system. Cause again, we're publicly funded. So we're always trying to find ways to make it run better and smoother because it's tax dollars. But, um, but then, um, uh, yeah, so we're trying to keep people at home, but then that changes long-term care a little bit because like 30, 40 years ago, you would have really stable people in long-term care, but now we're trying to keep people at home longer. So people stay at home as long as they can until they cannot take care of themselves anymore. Um, we do have retirement homes that people could go to in the middle, like when they, they don't think they can handle a house, but they could live in a place. Okay. Where there's like nurses around, but um, those are public, those are private. So people would pay for that themselves. Um, however, sometimes when, when the person then declines to an age where they maybe can't complete their ADLs anymore, can't take care of themselves, um, then home health becomes difficult if it's requiring 24 hour care, like all the time. So okay. if that's the case, then long-term care is the best option. Um, so long-term care is kind of like, to be honest, in on like, it's kind of, it got a bad rep here, which okay. really hurts my heart because um, there's sure. so much good that happens here. Yeah. Um, it's the best kept it, secret. Come on now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and it's just because of how the media, there's a whole bunch, I, like I could talk about this for hours, like just the way, the, just a whole bunch of reasons why long-term care gets like a bad rep. Um, we do amazing care here. Um, but the media likes to focus on like the, the one or two bad things that happen and then they explode that up. Yeah. Um, and so that that has influenced it. There's also it, I, the stemming of it, though, is that you can see that there's less value in it in the way that the government funds us. So we okay. get the worst. Oh, OK, I'm, people could argue with me, but I would say that our funding model is um really archaic and is not valuing the work that 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 nurses um that nurses do and also doesn't value the elderly so there's a lot of ageism in the population in the world right yeah. um, and i think that those are all factors that that um kind of push long-term care um to have a little bit of a negative light however there's so much work going on now 
um, especially since COVID, but even before COVID, just um, really highlighting the great values of long-term care and trying to expose um, the, the gaps that are here. And because of that, we're starting to see more of the public um, outcries saying, oh my gosh, we need to support long-term care more. Oh my gosh, we need to put more money here. Um, and we're really hoping a lot of um, our lobby groups are really jumping on this like public awareness to try and push um, things in the right direction to get more funding. The government's promising more funding because COVID was a disaster. Long-term cares were, um, were one of the areas that were hit the hardest and partly because of how they fund it, it wasn't properly prepared. Um, and so we're, there was public outcry about that and we're trying to like build up on that but um but it, it, as you know with governments it's hard to to get the change you need sometimes so there that that's like the sad part about it here and publicly funded healthcare is is i mean i mean i only come from this so it is uh, i think a great thing um but but there is challenges as well because you have how is the money allocated that's the problem right, right? you have to figure it out and so right. Um, but, you know, the future of patients right now, the baby boomers are aging, the geriatric, the whole population is aging. Um, we're going to see way more geriatric patients in the, in the near future with dementia. Dementia is on the rise. Um, and so I think we're going to have to see a change in order for the system to be sustainable. I agree. And I think you just brought up a really good point of ageism that many people still I think harp on here as well is that because you reach a certain age, you must go into long-term care. And I speak from my own perspectives that my grandparents are in their nineties and they're still living by themselves and I keep, and they're very healthy people. And, you know, I, and my mom can sometimes be worried about that because, and, and that's fair, but I, you know, I, I tell them like, I'm like, age is just a number and you have to consider how great they are taking care of themselves and how to keep supporting people in the home because yeah. it's very important to them. And that's where I think that perhaps this is going in terms of you know aging at home and when we create centers for geriatric excellence that we create these environments that are more sustainable for the elderly because it's, it's very hard. And there's so much, so much criticism about ageism and we think people can't do these things because they've reached a certain age and that's just, it needs to go away. <laughs> Needs to just yeah. <laughs> go under the rug somewhere else because like they're people they're still alive they're still they're still a human yes. just like you and me yes and they paid tax well from our perspective they paid taxes their whole entire life maybe never even needed to go to the hospital why are we chipping them now like right. they it just, right. yeah they're yeah like, yes it seems that in the in the general aspect of things at least in the united states we put a lot of financial effort towards pediatrics, which I'm not saying that they don't deserve it. I think peds should never be sick. We seem to miss the boat on adult care and geriatric care the most. If you think of the differences between a pediatric hospital and an adult hospital, it's kind of like moving from Disneyland to a jail in, in, in many different organizations that I think could be so much better and so much more friendlier and just, you know, just a healing space as opposed to a space that it just kind of looks dull and and not friendly and you just want to leave there you know what I mean and I'm not yeah. saying that people should live at the hospital by all means but I do think that you know if there were funding efforts towards adult care and geriatric care you know much like you see fundraising efforts for St. Jude's that mm -hmm. could be a huge thing for long-term care facilities to, to receive more funding and also for hospitals to really start caring about 
adults and geriatrics in new ways. And perhaps mm -hmm. we would get rid of the whole label of geriatrics in, in the future. Because I think that just makes them sound old. And I don't think anybody likes to sound old, you know? <laughs> Goodness. I do think, though, so I, I had just finished up um, a course on health economics. I do talk a lot about it because I, I have a newfound love of health economics. Cool. And we've learned about, a th I've learned so much more about the Affordable Care Act than I, than I ever wanted to in my whole life. But we do know that a universal health care service would be better for all because you could thus pool a ton more people and then and then strategize your care and your pricing based on those people. I think people are criticize it because they have never been a part of a system like Canada. They don't live in it. So it's easy to criticize something when you don't are, are not a part of it. Mm -hmm. And you certainly have seen successes. Like you're saying, you know, you, you, you seem to think about things that have direct impacts of cost measures as opposed to just spending money all over the place. Mm -hmm. And whether that's good or bad for the organization, you know, that's, that's neither here nor there. It's just a general statement. But then you have places, and I'm going back to Switzerland because I just learned about this as well, where they offer private public health insurance, but you are mandated to have health insurance. And people can still make good money, you know, treating patients and you still have overall coverage there's my puppy <laughs> sorry oh he, he's so beautiful oh my god <laughs> like slight breaking conversation as as my as my lovely adorable puppy hops up it's like white puff behind your hair <laughs> yeah yeah he's just the fluffiest fluffiest dog anyway i'm sorry i digress um but perhaps we'll we'll see something like Switzerland in the future in the United States. I don't know though. I'm not I'm not one that makes those rules. Um, but I do find it very interesting to have this discussion and, and to really you know hopefully people hear this and and think about things a little bit differently about how things are run um, just right across our northern border here. So um, yeah, um, where was I going with this? I'm so sorry. The puppy like totally got me <laughs> got me off on like a different tangent. Um, let's start talking about vibrant health okay and where this came from because i'm really interested to hear i'm sorry not vibrant health vibrant nurse excuse me. so what is vibrant nurse and why did you develop it as a social media community tell me all about it because it seems yeah. really cool yeah so this actually like spawned in my brain like four years ago when i was just like i just I really fell in love with long-term care, registered nursing and long-term care because of like the, the blend between clinical and leadership. And I love the leadership aspect because I had a team and we worked together. My like this team was amazing. I am so blessed to, be, to have been part of this team. Just the care that we provided, um, we always had like most of the time we had really great outcomes and when challenges came up, we worked together through it. And I, I think they inspired me because I felt so connected to them and and um and then what we did is we worked on each other to like build capacity in each other how can what can we learn from each other to you know i know a bit more about this skill you know a bit more about that skill how can we combine that so we can do something better for these residents and um and the things that we achieved in those two years i was on that unit were were really amazing and um so that made me think about what is it about this team that makes us so great when I see other teams, like other units, for example, were maybe um, not the same or other facilities were struggling because I um, I did some work between facilities too. Um, and so uh, 
what stood out was really this leadership aspect. And I was getting sent to leadership training and I was getting all the terminology and understanding that. And then I just had this like idea. I was like, oh, I would love to just, cause I always see these communities online. And I was like, I would love to just start a community where people from other areas, all different experiences could share with each other, different leadership skills that they use or tactics Ooh. or strategies yeah. that will help, um, you know, promote leadership. And, and, um, and have better outcomes from their patients. And uh, so that sort of sparked the idea, but I never really knew anything about business at all. So I was just sort of like, okay, that's a cool idea. And I'm, and, and it's funny, cause you mentioned at the beginning of this session here that um, there's so many ways to express nursing and art mm -hmm. and um, activities and things like that. So I always run the nursing week committee at my facility for the last like five years. And so I, I, I I'm get so creative in that process, like different games we can play and different ways we can show and, and how nursing is amazing. And that really stuck with me because that was part of Vibrant Nurse too. How could I get ideas out there on how to celebrate nursing week in different ways? Yes. Um, because whenever I, I Googled it, it was always like, give your nurses a massage. And then that was sort of like the only thing I could ever find. And so I was like, there's so many more things we can do. Um, and so, um, so I was like, oh, I wish I could do that, but I never did anything. And then finally, um, I started a YouTube channel when I was on maternity leave. And um, cause I, I like, uh, well, we have a year long maternity leave here in Canada. So I had some time. <laughs> and so I was like, <laughs> wow, I'm moving to Canada. We get three months. So I was like, okay, what do, what do I do with my time? I had the baby and I was at home and I was like, oh, I want to explore this idea. So I made a couple of YouTube videos, just trialing it. Um, and I wrote it about exactly about my experience on coming into long-term care, how it was sort of perceived as, why would you want to work in long-term care? You're a new grad. Why wouldn't you want to work in a hospital? And, um, and just sort of explained why I love it. And and I did it sort of in a funny way. And I had some really good responses from that video. And so that sort of inspired me to say, okay, maybe there's something to this. Um, I waited a little bit, but um, with COVID, um, I don't know, you know, I don't know, something about this pandemic makes you think about your life and where you want to go and what you want to achieve because you're so stuck at home and you're like, oh man, I didn't achieve what I wanted to achieve. So, um, so that sort of inspired me to, um, kind of grow it into something more into an actual business where I create resources and share with people to promote their leadership. Um, focusing right now on um, goal setting, because I know that with my team members um, that I've worked with in the past, goal setting is, is hard. And my, my practice role right now, I support nurses in their, in their goal setting. So I was like, okay, well, maybe I can do that for more people. Um, and so that's where it's starting. Um, I don't know anything about business. I'm a nurse, so I'm, not, so I'm learning as I go along. But um, but yeah, that's the plan to kind of keep growing that. And I want to use it as a platform for raising awareness about long-term care issues in Ontario. Uh, so I'm working on a little series for that for next month. That's um, so cool. Yeah, thank you. Well, I do you still so do you still have the YouTube channel? I do, but it it was a little inconsistent. So I like it's still there. And okay. you can see all those videos, um, but um, I'm hoping to revive it in the new year um, okay. and more consistently. Right now, I have Instagram, which is um, at Vibrant Nurse. That one is like consistently I'm putting out content on just little tips and tricks on how you can improve your leadership, like what integrity means and how to build trust and um, team building teamwork and things like that. Um, and also ideas on how to like have fun on the unit because 
like I'm definitely that nurse who does all like the, the activities on the unit. Let's do Secret Santa. Let's do this. Um, but That's great. Uh, yeah, so just ideas like that. And I didn't really know the business side. Um, so I did partner, I am in it with my friend. She's not a nurse, she's a friend of nursing. She has nurses in her family, but she's sort of like the operational behind the scenes that kind of helps me with uh, keeping on track and organized and stuff. Um, and so we kind of work on that together, but yeah, that's sort that's of- That's awesome. I'm looking at your Instagram page right now. It looks so fun. <laughs> Thanks. I'm gonna, I, <laughs> it is very colorful which is what instagram pages should be um, <laughs> i'm not an expert on social media myself but i do know a, a little bit about it and if it's vibrant and like obviously like vibrant nurse right i went there but um if it's colorful and and appealing to, to people they will definitely love it more than than anything else and 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 follow you so we'll i will put this in the show notes when oh, this when this episode launches that way people can find you um i won't put the youtube channel link until the new year so that way people can just look at, the, at like a new channel because i imagine that you're gonna probably re reinvent it a little bit. <laughs> yeah and like perhaps make it like a like a channel i have not seen it myself i didn't even know you had a youtube channel that's amazing i <laughs> literally yesterday had an idea of starting a youtube channel for a nursing journal club so oh, kind of like a bridge out of this podcast it would be the youtube channel for it but it would be um a live journal club where people could talk about the science and stuff and hear different ideas oh, and cool. right and like i was like maybe it's a good idea i don't know so i'm still working on the details of it i do have a phd prepared nurse that's going to help with it because i feel like that's important um but it, but so hopefully within the next year I'll launch that and kind of do things. The other thing that I that I I can't stress enough that you said was achievement during pandemic. And I say that because there's a lot of people that struggle and have struggled in so many different ways during this pandemic. And in my opinion, as an entrepreneur, as a podcast host, as all, you know, a bunch of things, this is the perfect time to take advantage and think of innovative solutions and just do it and see what works and see what doesn't work and, you know, try something new. And, you know, we've already, you know, at least down here have had limited um, resources and limited things that have happened since the pandemic, but you can, you still have things like YouTube. You still have things like Instagram. You still have things like podcasts and stuff like that. And you still have things like connecting with people in a different way that makes it just so much, so much better. So I think that people just need to do that. I think, you know, I'm, I, I'm one that just loves to do things if you couldn't tell, <laughs> but you know, your, your whole vibe with this in terms of making long-term care much more accessible, much more seeable. And then also, you know, just for new nurses to experience long-term care in different ways that they didn't know before is huge. Cause there's no one else doing that, right? There's no one else out there in, at least I've seen doing long-term care the way that you describe long-term long -term care and want to promote it in the future. Where, so Vibrant Nurse is just starting mm -hmm. then. Um, where do you see Vibrant Nurse in the future? Is this going to be like a, like a social media platform that you want, like a separate website or yeah. other? Yeah, so we, we are, we're hoping to build it into a place where people can go for resources, um, for leadership. Now we're, we're trying to navigate like 
there's a lot of free resources out there. So sort of maybe more like um, courses or how to use these resources to actually tangibly make a difference in your personal practice. But or I like an e-course. Yeah. yeah, kind of things like that. Um, just sort of like maybe coaching along that line. Um, and then we hope to see it grow into like, it's sort of like two parts, like the social media platform, because I would love to connect with other leaders and see like the strategies they use and help like, you know, um, kind of like be mentors for each other as we go, as we grow. Um, and then I also, we all just so hope to see it as a platform where people who are doing amazing things and have amazing resources wherever they are, if they could eventually share it with each other too. So like sometimes someone in some in the world has created this document that helps um, make it easy to understand medications or something, maybe they could share that with somebody else um, who's looking for that particular skill set um, as well. Yeah. That's really cool. Do you guys have, so we have a American organization for nurse executives. Do you have a Canadian version of that? Oh, I don't know. I should look into that. If you, if you don't, um, I sometimes, sometimes American organizations have an international um, membership rate, but you can certainly, you don't have to join the membership, but you can certainly reach out to them and ask them questions. Sigma Theta Tau is also an international nursing organization. It's, it's an honor society, but you can certainly reach out to them as well because they have a lot of um, broad people in their organization that they do a lot of international things. But so those are two, two places to look into and see if they have a Canadian leadership um, organization because at least in the United States, the nurse executive one, um, they do a lot of mentorship things. They do a lot of, well, before pandemic, they had like a, like a fellowship where you would travel to places and do this fellowship. Uh, but since the pandemic, I don't know if they're doing that now, but I, but I do know of other leaders that have done that in the past and have had great things happen from it. Oh, and then, cool. yeah. And then the other thing I would suggest is, is maybe LinkedIn, you know, oh, yeah. what perhaps might help with getting this vibrant nurse out there. Cause I think it's a wonderful thing to offer to people. Thanks. Yeah, oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, LinkedIn's one of the social media platforms like personally I haven't like experienced, so I should I think I should look into that. You're right. Do you have a do you have a launch date for when this perhaps might be um well, technically we launched on the 7th cuz we we have a website okay. um and it's vibrantnurse.ca and uh it it um, has some resources available already, like along the lines of um, if you're looking for interesting activities for teamwork building on your unit, or if you're looking for learning, like learning goals, because the nurses, nurses for your colleges generally have to do a learning goal plan every year, at least in Canada. Um, and so I know that that a lot of nurses struggle with that. And um, so I have like templates that I already made. So they're already written for you, you can just go and, um, and then actually just tailor it to what you want to learn and then go forward with that um, to try to help people get get started. Um, and then there'll be a new like course in the new year. So we're kind of coming out with products slowly. Um, the way to but, do it. But, uh, but there's things there already if, if any, like for if anyone's interested in some leadership stuff and then it's going to keep growing as we go along. That's awesome. That is so cool. I, I will also put that in the show notes too or and just send me the, the website so that we have all the links that you want to provide and we'll put them up there. Okay, cool. Yeah. Anything else that you want to discuss? Um, 
have to have all the little notes here. No, I think I we hit like on all the things that I wanted to say. I mean, the I mean, really, I love that we talked about the person center approach to care. That's really one so, of the biggest things. So important. Yeah. Um, and uh, and just raising awareness about long term uh, about nursing and long term care because as I mentioned in that video I made I talked about how people just could not believe uh, this was my first spot to go and the number one myth that people say about nursing and long term care is this is this is where you're gonna go to lose all your nursing skills like why would you do that you're gonna lose all your skills and uh, <laughs> or this is a place where nurses go to retire this is what you yep. do at the end of your career that is that is correct that's what people say. Yeah, because it's like slow and quiet, which it absolutely is not. Like we don't even get like we run around just like chickens like crazy, just like anywhere else. Um, and so I just wanted to change that that this is a place, a great place to start your career as yeah. a nurse. If you if you have the personality where you like long-term relationships with your clients and you love organizing and leading like the, the supervisory role mm -hmm. plus clinical. This is like the perfect role and i've seen i've seen people like i'm still here but i've moved up from an evening position within two years i was in a day position within a year and a half i was leading the best practice implementation um project within my organization and then a year after that or sorry two years after that i'm in this role and it's just gonna keep going i'm i'm, I'm lucky because within my organization there's these opportunities yeah but i've seen other nurses in long-term care they've gone to hospital after they've gone to the ministry like the government after some of them have gone to men to mental health um geriatric mental health in the hospital um community nursing so really it's a wonderful basis to start and so so awesome yeah and like we were talking about like the skills you gain here like we don't lose skills we just have like a tailored set of skills yeah. and it, it really does set you up and yeah okay we don't do ivs every day i've never i've never put i've been a nurse for eight years i've never in put an, an iv in anyone's arm because they don't That's teach okay. you that in school and i didn't have to do it at work but the thing is is that i don't think that you know, if I were to get a job that required IVs, I'm pretty confident I could take the course and learn it. I, I don't think that that has like impeded my my life in any way. Um, and 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 nursing tasks like that don't define what nursing is. Right. And, and so if if I'm like I'm not, you can't say I'm not a nurse just because I have never put in an IV before. I have a whole different set of skill sets that, like you mentioned, are complementary to a lot of other areas of nursing. Um, and so that's, that's the message I would love to get out to. That is, that is such a great message. I, that was a perfect closing, I think, comment about anything that somebody is so passionate about, because you certainly opened up my eyes in terms of what long-term care really is, even if it is in Canada, because I think that there's so, so much parallel to the United States, um, healthcare services and Canada's healthcare services. And you're absolutely correct in that nursing is not defined by just one specialty or by one type of care, such as inpatient care. You can do so many other things. I, I knew a nurse that went straight into clinic care once they became a registered nurse. And they are a fabulous nurse. And you seem to be a fabulous nurse. I've never met you before, but you're so passionate about what you do and you've grown your career in such a way that you, you just keep on going. And that's just very, very amazing to listen to and to see and to experience. So congratulations on that because that's, that's phenomenal. 
Thank you so much. Yeah, and Daniela, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. Sorry, go ahead. What were we going to say? I'm so sorry. No, I was just going to say thank you for having me here. I, it's it's really an honor. And I just wanted you to know too that I love what you're doing. Showing the diversity of nursing is like, oh, I just, it warms my heart because people with this degree, it's a degree, it's a, it's a profession yeah. and there's so much you can do. It's not so just like one tiny little thing. Yes. And if nurses can know that, I think we would have less nurses leaving the profession because they don't know that they can do other things. Mm -hmm. um, and they're not a failure if you don't get that one job in the hospital or whatever. Yes, so, and that yeah. their skills are still valuable in different ways and in different settings. Well, I hope you'll be back in sometime in the future exactly. for another episode because I'd love to, to discuss the future of Vibrant Nurse and oh. where that's gone. Hopefully it's successful. I hope that it is. Thank you so much. You're welcome.